0: We are back in Hebrews after taking a break the last two weeks with with a a guest preacher and then uh, a different passage on Easter Sunday. Uh, Though we are in this Easter season, uh, the church calendar includes multiple weeks of Easter. So we will continue to talk about the resurrection and the hope that we have in it. The reality is that the hope of the resurrection is for every day and not just Easter. And uh, we will see... Hints of that through Hebrews, it's interesting that the writer of Hebrews doesn't focus on this, but we see it implied in many places. Uh, We are reminded that the writer, preacher, we call this a sermon letter, so uh, the preacher, writer here is telling again and again the Hebrew people that Jesus is better. As a reminder, they're tempted to turn away from Jesus because things are not going well for them. And to to turn back to the sacrificial system, to the priests and regular sacrifices that need to be offered. And Jesus has said again and again, Jesus is better. And and hopefully we've seen that even though that is not our temptation, that Jesus is better than anything that we might uh, turn to for our hope as well. I recently watched a movie from 2014. It's called Whiplash. And and it stars uh, Miles Teller before he was Rooster in Top Gun Maverick and J.K. Simmons. And Miles Teller plays Adam Neiman, and, uh, or Andrew Neiman. Andrew is a 19-year-old jazz drummer. And he is at a fictional school in New York City that is the best school for music. And he wants to be the best. I mean, he wants to be uh, Charlie Parker level. And I know, I uh, don't know a lot about jazz, but I know that Charlie Parker was not a drummer. But he's, he's a name that is both referenced in the movie often and a name that I recognize as a jazz musician. And there are not a lot of jazz drummers' names that I recognize. So, hoping that's true for you. He wants to be that level, right? He wants to be amazing. He wants to be the best. And he knows that to get there, he needs to be where he is in this, the best school. And he needs specifically the acceptance and approval and care and provision of his teacher, professor, conductor J.K. Simmons uh, plays Terence Fletcher, and the whole movie really is about Andrew pursuing that approval, moving toward what it would take to be that amazing drummer that he wants to be. And he, I mean, he is. I mean, he practices like crazy. There's just multiple scenes of his just. Bloody hands as he is practicing the drums so hard and for so long and so much, in, in order to be amazing. Uh, and it's a heartbreaking movie. I'll tell you now. It, it's it's rough, um, but we we see it throughout the movie he is he is pursuing the approval and the the provision of this one professor slash conductor. And and it's what is relatable, even if we don't uh, pursue music in particular or anything to that level or degree is that all of us at different points in our lives, we pursue the approval of of other people. Like there's always somebody whose approval we might be seeking. Maybe it's your parent, a mom or a dad, maybe it's a grandparent or a teacher or a coach or a friend or a spouse uh, or a boss. We, we, We move through life often thinking about the approval of others. And, and this reality exists in scripture where the people of God are ultimately seeking the approval of not another person, but of the creator, of God himself, of who is described in the Old Testament as Yahweh, the God who says, I will be with you. I will be your God. You will be my people. And they, they pursue his approval, recognizing that they have a problem and that their problem is is Sin is brokenness. And so they're moved, they've moved from the sacrificial system to cleanse them from sin in order that they would be approved by God. And, and they have trusted in Jesus but are tempted to turn back. And so if we're followers of Jesus, we find ourselves sometimes in a similar place where we're trusting in Jesus and we're following him. But we're tempted to turn to something else, either for God's approval or the approval of something that makes us feel good about ourselves. That this is where we regularly find ourselves. Let me tell you up front that the promise of this passage and in the whole story of scripture is that our creator, God, he approves and he embraces us and draws us up when we trust in him. That for those who trust in Jesus, that he draws us in and offers that approval that we long for. That that is the promise again and again. And we need reminders of that. And, and, and there's a sense in which the writer of Hebrews here is, is saying some of the same things that he's already said in the last few chapters. Jesus is better. Jesus is the one who's going to provide that forgiveness in order to be drawn into relationship with our creator. Uh, and he just continues to dive down deeper into that. And he says in this passage, essentially, there are three ways in which Jesus and what he offers is better than the sacrificial system. And again, as I try to do uh, each week that we've looked at this, even as we're not tempted to turn to the sacrificial system, I, I think that we'll see that it's better in these same ways for us and the other things that we might be tempted to turn to. And and the ways in which he says it is better is that first of all, it is internal; it reaches to the depths of who we are. The, the second is that it is permanent; that it is final. It's not temporary. What is on offer from Jesus. And the last is that it is effective, that it actually has real effect in our life. It's not just this thing separate, the the sacred, uh, and and we're living the, uh, the secular life, and this is the sacred thing separate. No, it is effective for life. It actually has effect in our lives. Lord, we do pray that you would again and again and again reveal to us that Jesus is better, that we might trust in him in a deeper and deeper way and that we would be changed by it. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. The first point is that this new covenant that is referred to, this new way of dealing with his own people is better because it deals with us internally, not just externally, but internally. This was a desire from all of of scripture, even as there was the sacrificial system of old, Jesus, that God was calling out his people in Psalms, and the, the prophets saying, you're, you're making it just external, but it's actually supposed to be more than that. Uh, and and yet, there was some sense in which the old system did only deal with the external. We see this in verse 2, when we, we find that there was the offering of sacrifices every year, and it was continual. Uh, and it goes on in verse 2 to say, would they not have ceased to be offered, that is the sacrifices, since the worshippers... If it had been effective, having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin. What's he saying there? He's saying if this were something beyond the external, beyond drawing them into the presence of God in this external way, that they would have had their consciences clean. But that's not what happens. And, and what we find as he goes on here is he's saying that actually what is on the table here deals with the heart and the mind, deals with it's not just externally. Not just the things that we do out there, but it deals with the very depth of who we are. So that, as we see in verse 16, this quote from Jeremiah 31 that was quoted at length back in chapter 8 is quoted again here when God says, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. There's something deeper going on here. That it's not just enough for it to be external. And, And God, again, he always wanted that. So if we look at verses 5 through 7, these are a quote, once again, an Old Testament quote, here from Psalm chapter 40. And we find here in verse 5 that sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Sacrifices and offerings are not what you desired. We, we know that he actually gave the sacrificial system, but he wanted more than that. We find it in other places, Psalm 51, this very famous psalm of repentance when David is caught in deep sin. And he says in verse 16 of Psalm 51, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So even in the Old Testament, when the sacrificial system is still in place, God is saying, I want your heart's I want the depth of who you are. But there's a recognition that that hasn't actually happened here. And so he gives more. He gives Jesus that offers a deep forgiveness and cleansing from the very depth of who we are. Our, our very identity has changed our hearts, which, which are not just our center of emotion, which is the way that we think about it oftentimes. That's the way that we think about heart. Heart biblically is, is the very center of who we are that drives everything that we are, everything that we do, everything that we think. And Jesus is saying that He deals with the very depth of who we are. At our very core, He offers cleansing and forgiveness there. And, and this should bring great hope. Because as we, as we think about trying to live up to the, to the law, to, to the list of things that we think we need to do in order to honor God. We, we, we recognize that we fall short. It doesn't matter actually what that standard is. If we're honest with ourselves, we're going to fall short. Maybe it's a biblical standard. Maybe it's the Ten Commandments. Maybe it's the laws in the Old and the New Testament. Uh, and, and yet we recognize that we fall short. Maybe even if it's, if it's not biblical, if it's the standards of another religion or if it's the standards of those around us, we live in what, what many describe more and more as a culturally puritanical society, right? This is what you can believe. This is what you can say. This is what you can do. And if, if you don't fall in line with these things, then, then you're out, right? Uh, this, this happens. Even if it's something that you believed or thought or said 10 years ago, then, then, then you're done. And some of that stuff that is happening culturally, uh, whether you, it's part of, think about it, cancel culture or just the, the expectations of those around us. I mean, some of those things are good, right? But some of them, are, are arbitrary, or are, uh, things that aren't actually helpful. But we find ourselves, wherever we are, whatever our context, followers of Jesus or not, th- there's often a standard that we're trying to live up to. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we don't, we don't make it. We don't live up. That, that, that we fail uh, to, to get it right. And sometimes it's because even as we have some idea of what it is, even if it's something that we've created or has been created around us, we, we don't even fully get what those rules are, and we, we, we question, did, did I do it right? Did, did I make it? We, some of us sometimes struggle with what we would call uh, imposter syndrome. We've got it together on the outside, uh, and yet we feel like an imposter on the inside. I mean, this is a, a phrase and term that's used with some regularity now because we can, most of us actually understand it. We can relate to that idea, Right? This could happen in our jobs. It can happen in the church right now, right? Like, we, we feel like maybe I'm passing on the outside, but I don't feel like I'm making it on the inside. And sometimes it's because we don't even understand the standard. So there's a moment in Whiplash when Andrew is playing the drums. He's, he's made it to, like, the big ensemble, the big jazz ensemble that's the big deal. And he's there, and... Fletcher is saying, you're not on my tempo. You're not on my tempo. At one point he says, you're rushing. And then he says, you're dragging. You're rushing. Are you rushing or are you dragging? And he is, uh, the the heartbreaking part of this movie is that he is like emotionally and physically abusive actually. So he's yelling at him saying, are are you rushing or are you dragging? And he doesn't know. He doesn't even know. And you can feel this, this tension that he has is there's this standard that he doesn't even fully understand and he's not making, he doesn't know even which side he is wrong on. And, and the same thing happens with another student when he says that somebody's out of tune. Is it you? Are you out of tune? And he doesn't know, and he says yes. And so he kicks him out. And it turns out he was on tune. The problem was he didn't know, right? We feel like this. Am I on tempo? Am I too fast? Am I too slow? Am I on tune or not on tune? We feel this way all the time in our lives. Am I living up to what I should be doing? And the reality is, the promise of the gospel is no. And yet, and yet, there is this amazing promise of forgiveness. This amazing promise of hope. You're not going to live up. And here's the promise, verse 17. I will remember their sins no more. Remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Complete forgiveness offered to the depth of who we are. This is what is on offer, and it goes to us, not only externally, but internally, that we might have hope of this reminder that we're accepted and loved because of what he has done. Even when we fail, it it affects the depth of who we are, and we need reminders of that, because if we don't think about it, it's easy to to forget, or easy to ignore, or easy to, to be overwhelmed by that imposter syndrome, or that question of are we living up or do we even know what the right standard is? And here the the reality is you're not fully going to get it. Even if you fully understand it, you're not going to live up to it. And yet you are forgiven and drawn into relationship with him. The second point is that not only does it deal with the depth of who we are internally, externally, all of it, it, it deals with us ultimately. And finally, it is a, a final work of forgiveness is a final work of being drawn in and accepted and loved and cared for. There's this comparison to the old system that was temporary, verses 1 and 2. This, this sacrificial system that was only a shadow of it. It was something that pointed to what was to come. And it, and it could never accomplish it. Go read 1 and 2. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would have ceased to do it. It's happening every year. It's, it's this need. They're being reminded of their sin every year, and, and it's not fully offering forgiveness. And yet what he's saying here is there is ultimate and final forgiveness. Verse 11 says, The, the priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. We need something more ultimate, more final, and that is only pointing to, to what is to come. It's pointing to Jesus and the things that are offered there. We, again, are not a part of, like the sacrificial system is not something that we're tempted to turn back to. And yet, what we think is there's still something that has to happen regularly. Yeah, 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 I was forgiven. Jesus did his thing. But now, I've got to earn his love and care. It could come in a a number of different ways. It might come through uh, religious means. We think that I need to add to the sacrifice of Jesus by doing certain things. It can happen even theologically in some of our traditions to uh, say, well, well, to really be forgiven, you have to go to confession. You have to do penance. You have to uh, go to a particular service. And, and maybe our circles more. It's you have to read your Bible a certain amount of times, or you have to pray, or you have to you have to do things right. We we add on, right? And, and to be clear, I think it is helpful to note we do a confession of sin every week, and that's not so that God will forgive us. We we do that, and it is a call of Scripture, but it is a reminder of the forgiveness that is already true. We could actually start with the the end. We could start with the assurance of pardon. And, and then do the confession. It, it, it's not that that accomplishes the forgiveness. It is a stepping into something that is already true. So that's the way that we think about uh, confession. And it is why we, we do it every week. But it's not something that actually accomplishes it for us. But, but maybe we think, if it's not Jesus, we think if we're just good enough. If we just, we'll be justified in life. We'll, be, we'll have value. We'll, we'll, we'll be true human beings if we, if we just continually do the right things. And, and the mistake is to think that we have to continually do all of these things. We just have to keep going, right? And if we mess up, then, then we've lost all that has already happened. There, there's a moment where uh, Andrew Neiman has made it into that ensemble. And there, there's, you get excited for him on some level, because he's, he's made it into the premier ensemble where he is going to be able to move toward the success that he always had hoped for. And there's a sense of relief that he has too. And in the way that it comes about, it's very satisfying for him. Uh, And and there's some scenes uh, in succession of the the joy, the excitement that he's experiencing as being a part of that ensemble. But then it becomes very clear that uh, he does not have a sure and certain position in that ensemble. And and Fletcher brings in another drummer that is clearly not as good, and, and we learn later that he's doing it just to mess with him, what he thinks is going to spur him on, but he, he brings in another drummer, and he says, Andrew, you're out. And, he, and then he's, he's, he's shaken, he's like, what does this mean for, for who I am? What does this mean for my career moving forward? What is this, all of these things? It, it, he has deep uncertainty, and he recognizes, oh my goodness, I have to just always be on. I have to always nail it perfectly every single time. And it is continual. And it's, it's like overwhelming to watch and think about what it must be like to be in that situation, right? We always are tempted to feel like we're in that position. That in order for God to love us, we've got to always be on, we've got to always get it right, that, that we don't want it to lose what he has offered. And yet the promise of this passage and the whole of the gospel is it is already done. It is final and permanent. It is once for all, verse 12, that when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 10 says that, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. One time for all, it is, it is done. And this picture that we see in verse, uh, verse 12 of Jesus sitting down at the right hand is in contrast to, to verse 11, the way that it used to be, and every priest stands at his daily service. There's a contrast between standing and sitting. And the people originally hearing this would have understood that when you're working, you're standing. That's not the case for us. We, many of us work office jobs, right? Right. Standing is happening a little bit more with standing desks, but uh, you you didn't sit and work in this time, right? Sitting was when you were finished with the job, when you were finished with the work, then you sat down to rest. That's the picture here. Jesus finished. He did the work. He experienced the sacrifice, and and we know that in between, he rose from the dead and now sits at the right hand of the Father, having accomplished once for all the sacrifice for sins. And there is a promise to each of us that that work is done. So there is no longer a need to offer sacrifices, verse 18, for where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And we make a mistake to think we have to continually offer ourselves to be forgiven of sin. No, what is on the table here is something ultimate and final. It is done. We are secure and the forgiveness that Jesus offered. We need to be reminded of that. You are loved and accepted and cared for and embraced. You are worthy, it is done. That is the promise as we trust in Jesus. That is the hope that is offered in the gospel of Christ. It is permanent, it is final, it is done. It does not need to happen again and again. And yet there is this recognition that we live in a time waiting for things to be finished. Yes, there's a sense in which our forgiveness and salvation is final, and yet we live in this time where where God's work of of redeeming the whole world is not finally done. We, We see even a hint of that in verse 13. He is waiting, as he sits at the right hand of the Father, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. So we're living in this time, but well, there's still effects of the broken of sin. The promises that it will be one day eradicated and done and finished. And that we are certainly now, even in this time, promised that the forgiveness is ultimate and final, that we don't have to do anything else to accomplish it. And, and, and yet we live in this already accomplished, not yet fulfilled. And there is a promise in the midst of that, of the effectiveness of that work that he has done, the effectiveness of his sacrifice for us, that it actually does change things. Again, it's not just this the sacred over here, that's done, and then you live your secular life, right? Like we come to church on Sunday and we, we talk about the being accepted by God and relationship with Him, and, and then we go actually and seek comfort and success and jobs and uh, doing well in school and all that, and that's separate over here. No, it's it all works together, and our lives are effectively changed. They are changed in a way that we are changed, that we're made more and more in the image of God. And the language that is used here is obedience and sanctification. But it all flows from what he has done, from his obedience. So look at this quote from Psalm 40 in verses 5 through 7. The second half of of verse 5 says, But a body you have prepared for me. This is... In reference to Jesus, Jesus is the fulfillment here of Psalm 40, and the body prepared for him. This is talking about the incarnation, that he humbles himself as a man, that he becomes 100% man, as he is 100% God, and he lives. And then he enters into the sacrifice for us, that he's come to do God's will, verse 7. Behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written for, of me in the scroll of the book. This is God's plan, and he's going to be obedient. And what that obedience leads to is his sacrifice. The fact that he is that single sacrifice, verse 12, that is his obedience. And here's the beautiful thing is that what that accomplishes for us is not just salvation, this thing to come in the future. It matters and is effective here and now, and it changes us so that as it is true, we don't do anything to earn that salvation. Yet it does. If it is real and is true, it affects our lives so that sanctification flows and sanctification. what, What is this? This is the biblical word. It's a theological word. I'll actually read the definition from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It says that sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man, that is internally the depth of who we are, we're renewed after the image of God. That is, we're, we're living more and more as we were created to live, created in his image, and are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live unto righteousness, it's to die, to not do the things, the, the brokenness and the sin that we're tempted to do, and then to more and more do the things that we are called to do. And this is a process, and all of us are at a different place in, in the walking of sanctification, and, and sometimes it goes well, and sometimes we struggle. And, uh, but we are being made more and more into the image of God that we were created to be. That is what sanctification is, this promise that it, that it matters, that it changes who we are, that it's effective in our lives, it changes how we go forth and live. And, and we see this reality. Look, look at, at verse 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. His sacrifice doesn't just bring about our justification our being made right with him. It brings about a changed life regularly. It changes who we are. But it's because of that sacrifice And there is a sense in which salvation is described in scripture. Sanctification is described as past, present, and future. God is working this big story. But what he says is that it's already happened. We have been sanctified, it says in verse 10. That's past tense, right? We recognize we're still growing. We still have sin and brokenness. There there is a sense in which the past, because of what Christ has done, is certain and sure. We can take great confidence in that, have great hope that he's doing that work and will complete it. We see in verse 14, same promise. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. There's this, this God working through time in which we have sometimes struggle to get our minds around. He says, he has perfected, and then goes on to say, those who are being sanctified. There's a promise, it's done. Even our sanctification, even our perfection, it is done and final, and we can have incredible confidence and hope in that because of what he's done. So Terrence Fletcher, this conductor, this professor, he was just insanely Emotionally and physically abusive to his students and he made it very clear that it was about him and they would not ruin his reputation So as they went out to perform and compete he made it very clear that they should Not mess up because of what it meant for him and his ensemble and his school and his reputation It's completely opposite of the way that our God deals with us He enters in and sacrifices himself for us He says He says that it is not about that he is willing to sacrifice and love and care for us and provide for us and and to give us that assurance that it is that it is done and that this is true in verse 13 until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet here's where the hope of the resurrection comes in this is language that is very clearly occurs also in 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed destroyed is death. And Jesus, between that sacrifice and that sitting at the right hand of the Father, destroyed death through the resurrection giving us that hope and that promise that this is done, it is final, that he has that kind of power to make sure that it is ultimately true, even if we don't experience the full reality of it yet. He is powerful to see it happen. That's the hope that he offers to us. The end of of whiplash is, is, is really heartbreaking because one of the things that happens is that even in spite of the abuse, and, and some might argue because of the way in which it was well beyond tough love, but the way that that happened is that it drove Andrew to this just like magical experience as a drummer. And then he has this performance that's uh, the, the implication is that it's gonna be legendary. And yet it's incredibly sad because of all of the stuff that went into that, including... Him moving farther and farther away from his family, of saying, I've got to focus on this one thing. And, and it doesn't matter what life is like, I just want to be remembered. I just want to be great. And then he he breaks up with his girlfriend because he doesn't have time for that. And and even the way that he describes it is incredibly sad to, to get to that thing that he wants. He loses all of these things that matter so much. And and, and this is us often pursuing. Goals or happiness or ends in life that will leave us wanting. And as we say regularly, the only thing that ultimately leaves us with hope is that thing that is not destroyed by death, and that is resurrection power that comes through the one who sacrificed himself for us, rose from the dead, sits at the right hand of the Father, and promises for us resurrection, and it is done. For you and for me, let's pray.